used to love tequila. I was like, oh, yes, a shot of tequila. Fantastic. Now I smell it, and it's almost like I'm smelling vodka. <laughs> See, vodka, I have no issue with vodka because vodka doesn't taste like anything, so it just feels like you're drinking water. It tastes like rubbing alcohol is what it tastes like. Oh, okay. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. says a lot about me. <laughs> Season. What water are you drinking? <laughs> Jesus did not turn water into tequila last time I checked. It's the same or thing. Or vodka. <laughs> it's literally the same thing. Wine, vodka, spirits, it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Hey y'all, welcome to The Table is Ours, the podcast where we sit down with our iconic black stars, to talk all things black. That's black joy, black resilience, and black praise. I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Curvy Dixon. And if Curvy were a Christmas holiday activity, she'd be caroling. That was so easy. Caroling? You never like what I say, Curvy. <laughs> I literally, my voice went like, Drake! You would be caroling. All, you sing all the time. You don't sing, Curvy? I don't don't make me pull up receipts. Amira caroling? Yeah. What? You know I hate the holidays. I was trying. <laughs> she never likes what I say. No, that's not true. <laughs> no, it's hundred percent true. You're like, always like, okay. I would be caroling? Huh, I gotta think about this. I think I gotta sit and unpack this for a second. You sing all the time. But I don't okay. how's that a far fetch? Because carolers are out in the cold all evening, pristine like this. I don't see I and don't then, see caroling like stuck <laughs> up. Like you could you can design caroling into whatever you want. The act of caroling you know is singing. Perception is reality, and if you perceive me to be a caroler, guess what, sis? I'm gonna be the best caroler you've ever seen. She no worries. I knew she wasn't gonna like it. I knew, I knew, I knew. I embrace it. I embrace it. I will be the soprano, okay? Because okay. my voice is high. <laughs> and y'all know who that is. That is my radiant co-host, Thank Amira you. Wally. And if Amira were a holiday activity, mm-hmm. she would a vision boarding party. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. Like, bring the magazines. Actually, I think we would get more drinking done than vision boarding. Mm -hmm. However, the intention (laughs) would be there. And we would be looking forward to the next year we have ahead. Yeah, that's what I think you would be. Agreed. I love vision boarding. That's what I'm excited. Vision boarding is so fun. For Uh, For the break, because I just need a beat to sit and everything that's happened in this last year celebrate but then also like plot i love plotting world domination it's funny because i think this past year was the first time that i really took it seriously mm-hmm. and i feel like i've manifested almost everything that i put on that vision board oh, that's amazing yeah when i was in harlem <laughs> i used to put i used to make the vision board i have a girlfriend that kind of started doing parties and i would put it on my wall and i would look at it every day mm-hmm. but 2020 was a a mess. We all know that. Yeah. But this past year, I did it with a small group of friends, and we did a, vi- a virtual vision boarding party where everyone can kind of contribute online. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, there's only one thing that I didn't accomplish this year that I set out to accomplish, but mm. we'll move that to next year. I support. I actually, for the first year in many, did not vision board last year. 
because 2020 was so bad for all of us. And I think I was in so much pain physically. And I was Mm -hmm. at the end of 2020, I was finally like emotionally healed from like horrible trying to get my brain right, trying to see the world Mm -hmm. again, trying not to lie to tell everyone I was okay. So when 2021 happened, it all the year starts with my birthday because I'm a Capricorn queen. Hey. And I was like, you know what? I want to work as hard as I can, but I don't know where my limit is. And I just want to push myself yeah. as far as I can. So I wrote down personal goals of how I want to move in life. Like I want my friendships to be better. And I, I literally just wrote, I want to work really, really hard. And I think I did. Maybe I shouldn't write that on my board anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I need to take time to kind of plot out exactly what's next. Oh my God. We should vision board together. We should with some wine, girl. Wine, good food, a charcuterie board, okay? I love those boards. <laughs> a little hot toddy, perhaps. I love a hot I like. I think I like the name hot toddy better than I like the drink, but I, I think like I actually it. agree with you. I totally it's agree It's a cute name. It's a cute name. Yeah, I to- I, it's, it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> I agree with you. Kirby, my spirited queen. Ma'am. What is your favorite part of the holidays? Ooh, my favorite part of the holidays is going to sound so lofty of me, but it's just the energy, the Mm -hmm. energy that comes with the winter holiday season. I love seeing all the houses decorated, the Mm -hmm. lights. I like the idea of us getting to like rest and reset and just do the things that we want to do. So I love the period of time where you're like connecting with old friends and family and house hopping. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole like September, October, November, December period of holidays for me is like chef's kiss pristine. So yeah, I think it's the energy and the of, of the holidays that I love the most. What about you? What do you love about the holiday season? Well, one, I love it's near my birthday season. Hello. <laughs> but I love that it's near my birthday season. Also, mm-hmm. I like I like the start of something new. Once it's the holidays, you know that whatever hardships that you went through that year, it's over, start new, start mm-hmm. fresh, bring it into a new vibe. I believe in starting fresh, whether it's January 1st or December 3rd, or whatever day is your new beginning, that is the day. I just love the season. I agree with that. 
Kirk Franklin is a 16-time Grammy-winning gospel singer-songwriter and choir director. He is best known for leading contemporary gospel choirs such as The Family, God's Property, and One Nation Crew. He's been dubbed the reigning king of urban gospel. He is the composer and inspiration of the new Lifetime holiday film, Kirk Franklin's A Gospel Christmas. Now, if you missed the premiere, don't worry. You can catch reruns airing on Christmas Day. So we spoke with the legendary Mr. Kirk Franklin about his early entry into popular music and his multifaceted connection to spirituality and to the big man upstairs, G.O.D., He opens up about his journey growing up adopted and his constant exploration of self and how music was the gift that kept him going. Plus, Kirk gets biblical as he shares an academic look into the whitewashing of religion and its effect, particularly on the black community. GP, are you with me? Kirk Franklin, let's get into it. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. We are very excited for this. Like, Yeah, I don't even know if that's the right word. Ecstatic. Yeah, ecstatic. Ecstatic <laughs> is the word. Yeah, yeah. Well, y'all are looking beautiful too, man. This is an honor. Such an honor. Thank, Thank you. you. So we had a really, really good chat with the cast and EP of your new film, Miss Angela Burchett, Tracy Twinkie Bird, and Regina Bell. And they even sang for us. The standard is high. The standard ah. is high. They're the ones that like brought in the good energy, like gave us that energy. That's super dope. That's great. It is a beautiful film. It is so good. So well done. It is amazing. So good. But we do like to start the podcast the same way every single week. And that is by asking this question to all of our guests. And our question for you is, what is something that has brought you joy this week? Something that has brought me joy this week is I think it is the continuous level of sacrificial support that my beautiful bride gives me when the schedule just gets a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I, I I adore this woman. I cherish her and worship the ground that her feet walks on because she's she's such a powerful presence in my life. And so I'm extremely grateful for her. Mm-hmm. You better speak on I that. Know, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Black love, the power of partnership, all of that. So we're going to get right into your life. Your work has always had such a strong sense of hope and aspiration in it. And it's honestly been... Um, a real source of joy for us, but I do imagine it's hard to keep up. So my question for you is, how do you find ways to stay so positive? I think if I can be very candid, there was already so much trauma Mm -hmm. being an adopted kid that I was experiencing living in that space is that I think that the world that I lived in overshadowed any moments of any like glimmers of hope because- Like, like I say to people all the time, when I was a kid, dreaming was dreaming was a luxury that I couldn't afford. Oh, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I think that you really become in survival mode. Yeah, yeah. You know, you are raised in these socioeconomic disparities, and being adopted, you have these abandonment issues that are very deep for a myriad of reasons. And then also, the lady that adopted me was not a lady; she was an older woman. She adopted me when I was four. She was sixty-four, and. Wow. She was a woman from a generation that didn't believe in giving praise. So there was not a lot of reaffirming praise, you know, like it's all of the negative. So, so everything is packaged in the negative. So you don't really, 
you don't really see the good in it. You don't really see good in much is because all the affirmation is in the negative. That really didn't impact my life like that. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting because I feel like yeah. the suppression of joy and gratefulness and love given to black boys specifically is so few and far between. So I'm wondering kind of like a little bit of a side question, but at what moment did you kind of come out of that suppressive mentality and were able to put all of the negativity that you received and all the negativity that you were going through in your life to become this positive powerhouse? I am still a work in progress. Mm, Aren't we all? all? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? And I think that that's what's been so amazing. That's what's so amazing to me, even about this gift of songwriting that God has loaned me Mm-hmm. is because the songs often speak what I desire to be, not always where I am. It's not always where I am. It's not like a song like Imagine Me. I'm not sitting on the other side of it on the beach sipping my ties. I am projecting what it would be or what it could be. You know, even the fast song, all the bops, you know, that y'all call, you know, that you youngest, that you young <laughs> whippersnappers call the, 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 the bops. It's, you know, you know, that's what, these are aspiration. Mm-hmm. These are not really position. And so I'm still in that journey. You know, I'm, I am a black man who's proud to say it even today that I'm still very committed to therapy. Yeah. I still go to therapy. Oh, gotta love therapy. Yeah. We yeah, yeah, yeah. love yeah. therapy on this podcast. Love yeah. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do I. It's so much work, but the growth is worth it. You just said something. You said that dreaming is a privilege and it is. I don't think people speak to that enough. Like as we're in 2021, speaking to all the nuances of what privilege is, I don't think a lot of people see that being able to dream what you want to be in 10 years, what you want to, if an astronaut, a teacher, that's a privilege that not everyone gets. Yeah. Oh, it's so heavy. I totally agree. And I think that in within our Western culture that we forget that when you travel to other parts of the world and you still see the authoritarian narratives that continue to keep people impoverished and you see rules of government that are very oppressive and you at times can forget that even the freedom to disagree is a privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. even the freedom to have a conversation and discussion about really complicated topics we haven't gotten it right. And hopefully our your generation and generation after you will get it right where everyone will have a seat at the table and everybody's mm-hmm. voice will be heard. But I have to fight for the Muslim's right to have his voice heard and his religion because I want him to fight to have my voice heard. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes democracy work. That's what makes America work. When When I fight for the voice that I don't even agree with, because I want him to fight for mine as well. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. I think one of the topics that transcends, right, <laughs> these <laughs> like uh, discussions, these narratives is music. And you have been such a critical and crucial voice in the music industry, period. It's not just gospel music. It's not Christian music. Period. 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 Okay. <laughs> Period, exclamation point with a T at the end. I had to do it. I just had to do it one good time. We welcome it. (laughs) But what was that moment in your life when you realized, you know what? I have a voice in music ministry and I want to make that my career path. Oh, man, you're asking questions that I don't always process myself. I think that 
you can be in it so much that you don't have a chance to write the synopsis of it. Yeah. It's that you're just living it moment by moment, day by day. And it's I think that my deficiencies have always led my narrative. So it's I don't look, you know, even, you know, the whole, even me joking about the same period was not because I was co-signing what you said. I just wanted to seize the opportunity to do the little hand move. Uh, <laughs> you could have also co-signed. <laughs> I'll take both. <laughs> you know, it is as much of a question for me as you ask me personally. You know, like when you ask the questions, I want to go, yeah, that's a good question. What is that? I don't know. You know, and, I, and <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping, and it's like I'm hoping some, some, some strange person can come in and help us answer the question because I don't know. And, yeah. but I'm okay not knowing. I feel very safe and not knowing. I think that there are some areas, especially for artists, that self-awareness is, I had a mentor tell me almost 20 years ago that one of the biggest dangers about what we do is that we can learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that learning how to do it can take away this impulsive, honest, in the moment, natural expression of creativity and faith or love or compassion that it's almost like a husband leaving a list for his wife of what they're going to do that evening for intimacy. Mm, yeah. At five o'clock, I'm going to come on and kiss you. At <laughs> 6.15, I'm going to put my arm around you. <laughs> Seven o'clock, you know, you know, and it's like the wife is probably going to be like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> you know? you know? So romantic. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like oh. But, but, but the spontaneity of love, none of us can explain it, right? We, we, there is no science to the spontaneity of, of what our species have that we've been genius at doing for millennia, right? And so as I think that, that creativity must have that space as well as the relationship that one has with his creative for me as a Christian. I mean, I'm unapologetic of what that is for me. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that authenticity sometimes is even hard for the person in it to describe. That's so interesting. It's like, it's so innate that you can't even articulate it, which kind of brings me to my next question. We're wondering when you started your career, was it intentional to kind of merge the secular, non-secular world? Was it intentional to merge gospel with hip hop? Because we see you do it so, it's refreshing and it's still true to your gospel roots. So was that intentional? Is that something that you like, you think about when you come up with your music? Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Kirk's like, dang, I need these questions ahead of time. (laughs) No, they're good. They're great questions. They're great questions. Yeah, you know, it's. I just think that it was a divine intersection. Is I think that I was raised enjoying what I enjoyed. I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the birth of hip hop as much as anyone else enjoyed the birth of hip hop. And I was engrafted to the culture. I had everything. It was connected to everything that was part of that movement in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, while at the same time on Sundays I was playing at church. I was playing at church and those Sunday nights going to the skating rink. So you know it was very it was very much engrafted into the DNA of who I was. I loved popular music. I could get girls because I could sit at the piano and play all the pop songs, you know, yeah, like, right. you know, like, like, you know, like the girls are like, oh, girl, he can play Michael Jackson. Did you, hear, <laughs> did you hear him play Michael Jackson? Oh, he's so cute, you know? And so, you know, that was something that was very natural for me. So at age 15, when a friend of mine got shot and killed, and I made a very uh, intentional decision to trust Christ with my heart and and to really start the journey, the up, down, ugly, disfigured journey 
of a faith, you know, because I think it's very important to say that because I think that the people that don't subscribe to faith can look at those of us that do, and it looks very whitewashed. It looks very polished, yeah, but it's a yeah. very, but it's a very up, down, bipolar, in and out. I love you, God. I don't like you, God. I can't stand you, God. God, why? You know, type of journey. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a very real, real part of who we are becoming, right? And so that journey started. And so when God started loaning me music, it was very much from the construct of uh, just the lexicon of my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of segued perfectly into... Did you hear me use my big words? You did. You hear did. me use my big words? I said lexicon. <laughs> you did. I said lexicon. <laughs> Did you hear? Did you hear me use a big? We heard you. That's an SAT word. I was like, "Oh, where are my SAT cards? Where, where, where are my cheat notes? Over here, googling, googling." Like, oh. I was like, "Can you see me, Google?" That is so cute. That is so cute. Don't move, because when we return, Kirk shares how he navigates his faith, knowing the troubled history it holds in the Black community. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When Amir and I were prepping for this conversation, we had so many topics that we wanted to discuss with you. And I think that speaks a lot to the character and the multiple worlds that you're able to navigate. But you literally just spoke about kind of the division within faith and the challenge and the whitewashing of Christianity. So taking you into faith and religion, we kind of want to know how did you find peace on your faith journey, knowing about the white history of Christianity and the effect of it on the black community specifically? Like, how do you come to terms with those two things? Yeah, you are, you are now entering doors that I'm very comfortable and excited and passionate to talk about is because I think that in order for the image of truth to be reimagined, it must also be shared uh, its deficiencies and mistakes along the way. Because I think that people, that we heal as we reveal. And yeah. I think that the sins that the sins of Western Christianity and the teachings of Jesus Christ are not necessarily synonymous. And so to be able to do that, we also have to be able to give historical context. I think that the biggest problem has been is that the church has not been willing to have the uncomfortable conversations. Mm. And so everything has been whitewashed and has been painted into a Disney movie. And that people feel manipulated and deceived by that. But Kirk, the irony in supposed to be allowed to go into a space where you can talk about anything. Isn't that the irony? Especially, Especially when the architects of 
faith, those that we quote, like, you know, we, we will reference Moses, we will reference David, we will reference all of these individuals that are in the pantheon of faith, right? These were all broken, jacked up people. They were adulterers, they were murderers. Moses was a murderer, David was an adulterer. He was a bad father. You, you have all of these people in the canon of scripture that are people that are flawed and jacked up and crazy, but we paint these pretty pictures that people say, I, that if that's what it is, I can't sign up for that because that's not real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so people, people will respect you saying, I don't know, instead of you saying something that is manipulative and deceitful for your demigods per se. And so for me, when my faith started to be questioned in my early thirties, and I started to be in communities because as you uh, said earlier, which you articulated very well, for whatever reason, God would allow my music to enter into certain communities that were not church communities. Yeah. And in those communities, my faith would start to become challenged. I would have questions asked of me that I was not prepared. And they were more intellectual conversations. They were more historical conversations. And I felt so underprepared that I never wanted to feel that way again. And so it started me on a journey where scholarship and my faith became more important to me. And, and I really started to apply the discipline of like biblical and historical scholarship and history to my faith. I started to audit classes from my different seminaries and from different professors. I would pay professors to, to meet me at Starbucks and to teach me different mm -hmm. things. And I, and I started surrounding myself with uh, men and women of higher scholarship. And so I wanted to be able to get what I was not getting from the pulpit per se. But then I started to align myself with even people of faith that subscribed to a more academic approach to biblical history and to Christology. And in doing that, the things that I was afraid of became even clear for me about the true history of Christianity was not Europe influencing Africa, but it was actually Africa influencing Europe. Mm -hmm. yeah. That two centuries before Constantine made Christianity a national religion, there were Christians and there were right. Christians in the sub-Saharan parts of North Africa. The ancient city of Alexandria was the first city that the disciple Mark started a church in. He started a church in Alexandria in North Africa. And so you see all of this African influence. You see Constantine, you see Augustine, you see Tertullian. These were all men of color. These were black men. There were the uh, foundations of the early church, the early Christian church. And so centuries before the transatlantic slave trade, centuries before colonialism, there were free Africans that were studying and subscribing to Christian faith to the point that when the transatlantic slave trade happened, that there were priests that were writing back to some of the slave owners saying, hey, some of these guys that you've taken, they were free priests. They, they right. were priests in the church here in North Africa, and they're not slaves. And so it is a very interesting understanding to understand that there is an academic truth to the faith that we subscribe to yep. that gives it gravitas, right? right? That allows it to stand in academic and historical circles that it's not just wishful thinking and it's just not just, just, just imagined choices and decisions, but we are subscribing to something that has very much a substantial truth to who we are and to what we believe, especially people of color when Christianity was weaponized against us. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's your last point is what I think so many young black people are struggling with when it comes to religion. And I think for me, well, I, I think I refreshed it in this last year. 2020 happened. We all know what happened. Yeah, buddy. And we all know how the world reacted to what they're finally calling social change. Yeah. And then we go back and we look at every social movement or civil movement that has happened 
the whole base is kind of like black religion. It's black churches, yeah. it's black mosques, it's black masjid. They were mm-hmm. fundraising. They were the ones picketing. Mm-hmm. Like it started yes. there. So yes. so much yes. of a religion that we recently <laughs> adapt to is rooted in fighting for more of our rights. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that's mm-hmm. where I kind of came at home with it. I was like, this is what the revolution is. And it's locked deep in our religion. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, first of all, I agree with you, sister, with the beautiful skin. Yeah. <laughs> that we have to understand that that God is not only a God of love, he's a God of justice. Mm-hmm. And they must coexist at the same time. That you cannot have love without justice. And justice must be the prerequisite of love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. This beautiful journey that you took in your 30s, that you challenged what your church was teaching you. Did you take your kids on that too? Mm-hmm. How was that for them? Oh, it was very beautiful. And mind you, it wasn't necessarily my church because the church that I attend, it aligns itself with a more academic approach to biblical truth. It was something that I just started to want to prepare them for because as I began to see, oh man, this really matters. This is really substantial and it's fundamental in a bigger arcing story, right? There's mm-hmm. there's an overarching story of faith for us as people of color and for all people, just because God loves all people. And so and so it's not exclusively ours, but it has been beautifully orchestrated and translated by black and brown people, right? Yeah. And so as we began to take that journey, is that I think that it just found there was more viability and legitimacy that they started to see their faith in that there's a legitimate, while at the same time giving them the freedom to do their own journeys, because all past the issues of academia and any area that we can all pontificate, it still is an issue of the heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you cannot force anyone's heart to fall in love with a divine call, right? And so that's why I try very hard as a dad to model what being a seeker of Jesus Christ looks like. I try to model it and how, to, and how I treat their mama and how I treat them and how I treat others is because people want to see the gospel before they hear the gospel. It's because people are burnt out. They've seen so many clowns. They've seen the circus. They've been to the show. You know what I mean? They've got the ticket. They got the popcorn. They, they know what it is. They know all of the prosperity uh, ideals and, and they've, see, they've seen their grandmama spend money on a church building project that never got built. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They, you know what I'm saying? Think about it. They've seen the hood churches where the crack house is right down the street. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how you going to have this crack house surviving when this church is right here? Where's the power? And the pastor driving in a BMW, Mercedes Benz. Come on. And- yeah. Come on. So yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. We've all had the popcorn, right? We all had yeah. the ticket. And so now it's very important for us to bring legitimacy to the message while also holding accountable the message. Yeah. Kirk, is there a scripture that you kind of fall back on or reference often when people are questioning this legitimacy or questioning humanity and what the hell is happening in this world and Mm. being like, Mm. God, where are you? Like, is there a scripture that you reference that really makes you feel better and like, kind of like, no, God got it. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It's, I think more than anything, first of all, great question. Y'all are killing the game today. (laughs) I think that more than anything is I think more than anything else that God is not one to be studied. He's one to know. Yeah. And so as we begin to know him and begin to even invite him, it's like, okay, this is an old book. 
This is a book of antiquity. It's a book of poetry, history, literature, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Apocryphy, mm-hmm. revelations, old prophets, new prophets, new prophets, dispensationalism. You know, we've got all of these things, you know, you know, uh, old earth, new earth creationism. Okay. In the midst of all of that, I'm from the hood. I just got out of jail. I just, I just came out the trap. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> and, and I want to know you, holla at your boy. And so I believe at that simple space, that's where the journey begins. And so whether it's a Psalms, whether it's a proverb, whether it's just a verse today, I think that as people begin to have an open heart to want to know God, God will reveal what those words are, what those scriptures are, what those moments are. For me, the overall verse that I always go back to for me is Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for the good of them that love the Lord. Everything good, everything bad, everything ugly, God is putting it in the pot, stirring it together, and it's going to be for my good. I use the illustration all the time. If you take an egg and break it open by itself and eat just the yolks, it's going to be nasty. You take some flour in your hand and put it in your mouth, it's going to be nasty. You take a stick of butter and just bite it off, it's going to be nasty. But everything I named to you, those are ingredients for cake. So individually, they taste bad, but when they are working together, Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor working to no. I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> neighbor working together. <laughs> I could literally talk about this for another two hours, but we did want to give you an opportunity to talk about your new film out on Lifetime called Kirk Franklin's A Gospel Christmas. Can you talk to us about it? Yeah, man. Thank you. I mean, this is an incredible opportunity for me. Incredible opportunity for the genre, and I think that my goal has always been to find opportunities to showcase how this style of music can coexist in any space is because mm-hmm. it's, it's also part of Americana, right? That is not just songs of faith and healing, but American music was birthed out of gospel and blues and soul. And so I'm very excited and very thankful for a lifetime giving a film like this and myself an opportunity to just speak to all communities. And I think it just shows their commitment to diversity and inclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. And not only just for black and brown women in front of the camera, behind the camera, and then even for different styles of black music. And Mm -hmm. so I really commend them and really applaud them being faith in action. So thank you Lifetime for uh, really being boots on the ground for the uh, change that society really needs. That's beautiful. And Kirk, we do want to let you know really quickly that we had the honor and privilege of speaking with Angela and Regina, and they gave you your flowers. Man, did they give you your flowers and said how- What they the say, way, what they the say, way what they in say. which your mind worked- Genius. Allows them to bring their full selves to work when they wow. sing musically and then some. So just letting you know wow. that little tidbit of information because they spoke really, really highly of you, as do we. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But we could go on and on and on with you. Please come back. We have so much more to chat with <laughs> you about. You. But we end our podcast every time with an iteration of this question. And for you, we have My Black is Uplifting because. My Black is Uplifting is because it not only reminds you of where you've been, but it gives you the snapshot of all that God has for you to be. Beautiful. This has been the best day. Oh my gosh. Time flew by and we can talk to you forever. I know. We need two Don't hours at least. I know, but we, we have to tell the people about a film. Oh! Oh! I'm sorry. We got, <laughs> we, got, we got Kirk Franklin's uh, Gospel Christmas. It's got Demetria. McKinney. It's almost like an SNL skit, right? Yeah. Demetria <laughs> McKinney. It's got Chancellor Lamar Shepard. 
It's got hey. Angela Burchett and Kendra S. Johnson and Jeremy Winner. Regina Bell. Yes. That was That's the beautiful. perfect intro to this film. <laughs> I can't. I could. I, I. There's no reason for me to do it because you. That's that's. It's that's like it. just watch, y'all. Just that's watch. It. Just watch, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lifetime. Lifetime. You just got your new jingle. Yes, that is the jingle. I hope you're very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> More of that. More of that. <laughs> Tables Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amira Lawali. This episode was also produced by McKamey Lynn and Aisha Jordan and edited by Melissa Kaplan. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. The Tables Ours was created by Lifetime. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.